Jeff, thanks for filling in short notice last week. Um, some of the events of lately, you're thinking, man, maybe we need to trade this guy in for a younger model. But uh, Jeff was uh, on call quickly this last Sunday when I woke up with vertigo, and I'm so thankful that he uh, responded and did a great job and just continued in the worship process here. Started thinking about it. Uh, he has preached more in April than I have, so hopefully I can get caught up. I'm kind of in a rough patch right now, though, because I got past the vertigo and went straight into losing my voice. And so I am four days into a Z-Pack, thanks to Burt Brown, and uh, just kind of patching me together because we had a wedding yesterday, and then we have this morning, and then we have a funeral this afternoon, and then I have to record for television for next Sunday, this afternoon after the funeral. So pray that the voice goes well. I'm going to give you all that I have this morning, uh, and I forgot my cough drop coming in here. Now, I'm not one of those guys because you've heard of some of these guys. I have friends that talk about they put a cough drop in their mouth when they preach, and I'm just not that talented because it's going to come out at some point. But it, but it reminds me of the, of the pastor that actually did that, and he would use that kind of as a benchmark as to when it was time for him to wrap up his message. And each Sunday he would put that in there, and, and then one Sunday he just kept going on and on and on, and then he realized that when he reached into his pocket, he got a button instead of a cough drop. So could be an occupational hazard as well. Well, today we begin this new series called Refreshment. What a great opportunity. All of us long for refreshment in our lives, and what better place to go in Scripture than the Psalms to find it. Ironically, a couple of weeks ago, uh, when we were planning on being out on Palm Sunday, we were at the very first service, the covenant service of the Trinity uh, River Baptist Church, which our son-in-law is planting as a pastor up in Fort Worth. And while we were there, we came to realize how close in proximity that church, this brand new church plant was, to the location of where Michelle and I were a part of a church plant 36 years ago. It's really just crazy how close that our kids live to where that previous church plant took place all those years ago. And I remember being at a very, uh, it, was, it was like a, a beginning service, kind of a kickoff service for that church all those years ago. And there was a Christian artist who was also a, uh, an author and, and writer. His name is John Fisher. Some of you have heard a long time ago, throwback. This is back when, you know, in the early days of Christian music, right, coming out of the Jesus movement. And John Fisher was speaking at that service, and he talked about the Psalms, and he gave this synopsis. He said the Psalms can be summarized in four words. Life's tough, God's good. I've never forgotten that. Life's tough, God's good. And as we go through several of the Psalms over the next 10 to 12 weeks, just highlighting various ones, we're going to find that life's tough. And it can be refreshing to know that other people are experiencing adversity as well. When you're having a bad day, just turn to the Psalms. There's lots of bad days in there. And it also reminds us that God is good. Songs of wisdom and worship, that's really what they are. They give us guidance, and they help us to worship. It's Israel's ancient hymn book. Spurgeon would say of the Psalms, it's the little Bible, the heart of Scripture, the map of experience. Augustine would say that the Psalms are the epitome of the whole Scripture. Isaac Watts, that great hymn writer would say, they are the thousand-voice heart 
of the church. Timothy Keller, more contemporary, would say, the Psalms are a medicine chest for the heart and the best possible guide for practical living. We know about the Reformation that took place 500 years ago and the impact that Martin Luther had when he, when he drove those 95 theses into the door at Wittenberg. But prior to that, Luther had spent two years teaching, lecturing on the Psalms. They impacted even the Reformation that we've experienced. Jesus used the Psalms as part of the scripture that he would attest to his resurrection and his purpose as the Messiah. It is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament with over a hundred quotes and allusions. The Psalms are a window, a window into the worship of what God's people were doing even 3,000 years ago. Every situation that you experience is represented in the Psalms. It has complaints, it has confessions, has praise, cries for help. It gives us beautiful hymns to sing, declarations of faith. It looks to the past, it looks to the present, it looks into the future. It looks at individual lives and it looks at the nation of God's people. In many ways, it's an open book. Some of you have said of yourselves, I'm an open book meaning that what you see is what you get. The Psalms are an open book about the human emotion. It's the full range of human emotions. So I guess you could say the theme is, no matter the circumstance, God is worthy of praise. No matter the circumstance in your life or mine, God is worthy of praise. When we think of the Psalms, we kind of picture David sitting down and writing them and wonder kind of, you know, I guess it was during his lifetime that all the Psalms came together, but uniquely, it spans almost a millennium. Starts way back with Moses and goes all the way into the exile and beyond. David did write about half of the Psalms. There's also Solomon is involved, Asaph, Moses, other musicians in the temple, sons of Korah, Ethan, maybe even Ezra. And then when you think of the, the Psalms, you kind of picture just, you know, what, like when you're going through, reading through the Bible, you start at Psalm 1, and it just runs for all the way to Psalm 150. But it's really broken down into five books, and these five books are somewhat of a, an appendix, a compendium to the Torah. And so the five books are broken down into Psalm 1 through 41 is 1, and 42 through 72 73 through 89, 90 through 106, 107 to 150. And each one seems to be augmenting the book that has gone before it, and they all conclude with the doxology of praise to God. Now, when you think of the Psalms, you think of poetry, right? How many of you are poets? Don't raise your hand, Ward, you're a, a limerick guy. But uh, <laughs> has anybody received a limerick from Ward lately? <laughs> poetry but not like roses are red violets are blue it's, it's, it's not that kind of poetry it, it doesn't have the rhyme and it doesn't have the rhythm it's, it's Hebrew parallelism and by the way we look, we'll look back here at Haney 
Uh, Haney's son, Yotham, was baptized here, Old Testament, working on a PhD in Old Testament, so I, I hope I'm getting a little bit of this right. You can correct me along the way. He's the guy to go to at the end of the service if it's wrong. One of the, one of the great intimidations of being a pastor is you know that on any given day, there are at least a dozen people out there that know the Bible so much better than you do and are so much smarter than you, far more than a dozen. Well, in this poetry of parallelism, what it does is it's, it's stating an idea starts off with an idea, and then it reinforces it with a comparison or a contrast or a variation. It's kind of like a really good picture. Pictures bring you different pitches each time, and that's exactly what is happening in the Psalms, is a contrast or compare or reinforce a particular idea. The Hebrew title for the book of Psalms is song. One word, song. And it wasn't classified as religious songs or spiritual songs. And you probably have an iTunes account, Apple Music, in which you have certain playlists. And your playlist might be broken down into easy listening, jazz, work music, exercise music, but they didn't have that. They didn't have varying playlists. There was one playlist. And that's because in the Hebrew mindset, there was no separation between the sacred and the secular. God was at the center of everything. And that's why they would say song, because it relates to all of life, whether it's a good day, bad day, a doubting day, a disillusioned day, God is right in the middle of it. Most of the Psalms were written for worship at the temple. 55 of them were designated specifically to Warren, the minister of music, for the director of music, 24 connected with temple musicians. The word that we have, psalms, is a Greek translation that literally means the plucking of the strings, which they would use instrumentation to pluck the strings. It meant that these are songs of worship to be used in the expression of worship. We think about Jesus parting after the upper room experience with his disciples on that Monday, Thursday, as we call it. He probably sang Psalm 118 as his disciples left the upper room. So today as we look at Psalm 1 that Paula read so beautifully from the King James, you can turn to page 840 in the Pew Bible if you don't have your Bible, and I want to go through just a few ideas here as we begin, because Psalm 1 is the preface. It's the introduction to the 149 Psalms that will follow after. It's, it's the gateway to the entire book. It literally says, to walk with God, you cannot mistake the road. That's what Spurgeon would say. You walk with God, you won't be mistaken on the pathway that you take. It says, true happiness is the experience of all who trust God. So as we come to this very first psalm, we know it's poetry. It's it's really written in three stanzas, two verses each, which it throws down an idea, and then it begins to drill down to help us better understand it. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Reminds us of Jesus opening with a Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes, blessed, happy, the truest sense of happiness. Not the happiness that is based upon circumstance, but makes you fulfilled to the very core of who you are. Psalm 1 shows the progressive nature of sin. We all know this, and Dave Carpenter, Dave, I saw you earlier somewhere here, 
Dave's done such a great job of leading our men each Wednesday night as we're going through this doctrinal study, and he was talking about progressive sanctification, just this process of God sanctifying us. Well, sin has a progressive nature as well. As Kent Hughes would say, it would take us from bad to worse. Sin always takes us from bad to worse. And the psalmist is talking about this progressive nature of sin. Those who walk and stand and sit. It's a process. You, you begin to kind of hang out with evil people. It means that you, you, you walk with them. They're the, they're the cool kids that you follow down the hall. And then, then you kind of begin to feel a little bit more comfortable with them. So you, you start standing with them when they huddle together to, to talk about things that are, have nothing to do with God. And and then you get to the point where you're comfortable enough to sit with them and mock those who seek to follow after God. Sin has this kind of this undertow. It's like a, a riptide that deceives us. How many times have you heard of someone down at the beach that went into the water as a very strong swimmer but found their demise in an undertow or riptide? And the comment is, well, they're a strong swimmer. That deceptive nature being lured in and thinking that you're strong enough to be able to handle it. One commentator made this interesting statement that mockers are missionaries of wickedness. Don't you love that? Mockers are missionaries of wickedness. We think in our culture, if you're classified as a missionary, that means that you're one of those right-wing crazies is trying to do something really bizarre with your faith. And there are other missionaries in our culture, missionaries of wickedness that call, as Isaiah would say, they call good evil and evil good. They want you to feel stupid about trying to follow after God. And so the psalmist begins by saying, as we go through this entire book, of hymnology, about worshiping God. Be, be reminded that there are two paths. Which path do you want to get on? The one that will take you in a progressive nature toward God or progressive nature away from God? But those delight in the law of the, word, of, of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. It's a pattern of how we are transformed to be more like Christ. It's a practice of those who are truly blessed. And delight is not just a preference. Sometimes we say, I'll delight in the Lord, but it's more of a preference. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight in the Lord, period. And we say, well, the rest of it says, and yeah, I know. But delight in the Lord regardless of what happens. It's facing every situation, no matter how mundane with the desire to please God and to follow his word. Torah means instruction. And so as these Psalms relate back to the Torah, it is saying, I find delight in God's instruction and guidance for my life. John, 1 John 5, 3 is one that we used in our series on mandates. And we talked about the fact that God's commands are not burdensome. That's delight. When you look at God's word and you don't think of it as being burdensome, but you take delight in it delight in it and to meditate on it how many of you talk to yourself that's a good sign right i have read studies that people who talk to themselves are actually a little bit smarter than other people 
So you want to take another run at it? How many of you talk to yourself? Yes, oh, yeah, all the time. Well, you know, when you're, when you're talking to yourself, you're having this ongoing conversation in which you're, you're trying to kind of help, you're, you're kind of coaching yourself through the situation, right? You're kind of, what? You're, you're reminding yourself of why you've gone in this direction, of what you're trying to do. And that's exactly what he's talking about. Meditation is to remind yourself, to remind yourself of God's Word and to think about how it applies to your life. Don't let God's Word just become academic. Let it transform your life. It's very interesting to know that, that Solomon, when he was building his empire, knew that it would take an enormous workforce to accomplish that. And so he set up an educational facility right next to the temple in which the men that he was training to administer his kingdom in all of its detail, he was teaching and instructing them and showing them how all of the wisdom of the world runs right next to the temple of the Lord. That they're inseparable. And that's what we're talking about here. It's an introduction to the wisdom of God. It's a reminder of the incalculable difference between the way of the life that was given by the Torah, which was used for this instruction, and the laws of the Canaanites. The people of God were perpetually tempted by the Canaanites. And the Psalms are reminding the, of the difference between God's way and the way of the world. You know, Scripture is, in many ways, like two of your most commonly used apps on your phone. Let's just see if we can guess them. Maybe not the, the two most used, but two of the common used apps on your phone. What's the one that you use probably more than any? GPS. Are you going to say texting? Yeah, okay. You use GPS a lot, right? What does GPS do? It throws out a map and gives you direction. And what's beautiful about a GPS, we all know this, it's, it's not your phone just kind of trying to figure it out in the moment. The GPS is built on the fact that someone has gone before you and they know the lay of the land and they've come back with that information and they've created a map. God's word is the same way. It's a GPS that gives us guidance in life. Another app that I depend upon a lot because I'm very forgetful is a calendar to remind me that it's my wife's birthday and things like that. Not really. A calendar is a reminder and God's Word is like this GPS that guides us, and it also reminds us of what needs to be done in life. We need those reminders. You know, when someone says, don't lose your temper, is that the first time you've ever heard that? Like, oh wow, I've never thought about that. But what are they saying? I'm reminding you of something you already know. Don't lose your temper because that's not going to be to your benefit or the benefit of those people around you. And so that's what God's Word so oftentimes does. It reminds us of what we need to remember and we need to practice. That person, this contrast to being set up, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, they prosper. That person is like a tree, what? Planted. You are not an accident. And you don't follow God accidentally. 
the psalmist isn't talking about trees that just happen to show up on a riverbank. He's talking about trees that are intentionally planted. And when a tree is planted, it designates ownership. See, 20 years ago, Michelle and I planted an oak tree, a very small oak tree in our front yard. You don't have the right to come with your chainsaw and cut it down, no matter how cool your chainsaw is. It doesn't belong to you. We planted it. And when someone plants something, it designates ownership. And the psalmist is saying, you don't belong to yourself. You have been planted by God. And this picture of water, it's not just you're planted by a river stream, because that's real obvious that the river is going to be the place that provides the provisions for you. It means to be a canal, an irrigation system. It's to say that God has planted you wherever you are, no matter where you are, he will provide an irrigation system. You don't have to be planted by the river Nile to succeed in life. God will provide. He is your irrigation system. And that's why water all through Scripture is a picture of life. Brings forth fruit in all seasons. You know, we're coming into this beautiful time of year. You know, if you have a business in southeast Texas, this is the time of year you make recruitments, right? This and in the fall, because it's so beautiful here. And we look at the trees that are just exploding with greenery. But there's a season when they're not, right? Sometimes we feel like we're those kinds of trees, but what the psalmist is saying is God's people are evergreens. Always green. The prospering that he's talking about, Spurgeon would say, it's soul prosperity. You can turn on your television and find many a speaker communicating that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. But God wants your soul to prosper. Not necessarily your pocketbook. You may praise God through it. But it's talking about true prosperity, the true way of life. But it's not so among the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. We don't really understand a whole lot of this. Some of you have grown up in the church and you've heard this analogy so many times, but when, when they would bring all the grain into the harvest, what they would do is they have a threshing floor and it would be an elevated place in which they would catch a breeze and they would, they would dump the grain in there, with just the, the raw stalks that they had harvested and then they began to beat on them and they would separate the heavier grain from the chaff and then they would collect that and they would throw it up into the air and the grain, which was heavier, would fall to the ground and the breeze would blow away chaff. And that's exactly what the psalmist is saying, is the wicked are like chaff. You're going to be thrown into the air and just blown away. Your pattern is self-destructive. When you throw it up into the air, they don't have to pick out the chaff. It just blows away by itself. And the psalmist is saying, when you follow this other pathway, you will lead to self-destruction, self-implosion contrast of those who live in the wasteland of wickedness. Their destruction is their demise. So we come to this statement about prophetic words as you see there on the screen. It's predictive of a destination of the wicked and a destination of the righteous, and it's prophetic about Christ. You guys still with me? A couple more minutes, we'll wrap it up, all right? I've got to go from Psalm 1 to 150 here today, so just stay with me. We're, we're highlighting the psalm, okay? 
right, just a couple more minutes. Psalm 1 is a contrast of two kinds of people, two kinds of lives, two kinds of outcomes, and two kinds of kingdoms. Augustine is the one who said, this is to be understood of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can live out Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the righteous. This is a prophetic statement about Jesus Christ. It's the very first verse of the psalm in which the entire book will point us toward Jesus Christ. See, this was Jesus' hymn book. But it's actually the hymn book, H-I-M, because it always consistently points to him. Friends, we have this incredible advantage today. I'm glad that you're here. I wonder about all the people that don't take advantage of, of coming to gather to worship as believers because the advantage that we have is that we stand on this side of Calvary. Think about it for a moment. We can understand the Psalms better than those who wrote them because we know that Jesus Christ has come and he lived a sinless life, and he died for our salvation, and he was buried, and he was resurrected, and he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. They didn't understand that in fullness back then. And so you, me, we can read the Psalms with clearer understanding of God's plan of redemption than even the psalmist themselves. And the psalmist's view of God at war so many times in the Psalms imprecatory psalms are those ones in which you're calling down, and you probably read a few of them about people that you don't like, you know, just calling down all kinds of bad things to happen to them. Well, the psalms talk about God being a warrior. Why? Because they reveal him as one who is at war with the forces of evil. But the good news is, as 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 tells us, that Jesus came to defeat the works of the devil. He is a conquering warrior. So let's draw this to a close. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 through 20, really tell us something very similar to Psalm 1, in which, which Moses is reminding the, reminding the people. Coming to the close of his life, he says, This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. Only God, working in you, can accomplish what we have seen here in Psalm 1. Only God can do that. We can't do that on our own. Only God can make us like that tree that is planted by the irrigation streams. There's a beautiful Irish blessing that really kind of sums up Psalm 1. It says, may the best day of your past be the worst day of your future. That's what it means to follow Christ. May the best day of your past be the worst day of your future. We are influencers. You may not be on TikTok influencing millions, but we are all influencers. And God has called us to be influencers for his kingdom, to seek the counsel of God. Now, I sent you an email yesterday just asking if you're more Christ-like than a fruit tree. And that's how I want to bring this to a close. Why does a tree bear fruit? 
Or more specifically, for whom does a tree bear fruit? That was a question that kind of made me think as I was studying. When's the last time you saw an apple tree? Pull down an apple? Man, that's good. Have you ever seen an apple tree eat an apple? Or a peach tree? Or a cherry tree? You see, the reality is trees produce fruit for others, not themselves. And as this psalm points us to Jesus who said, I didn't come into the world to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom, it reminds us that sometimes a fruit tree can be more Christ-like than a Christian. When we live for ourselves rather than living for others. Just one quick last statement. I'm trying to change my life. As a minister, one of the things that you always struggle with is just not seeing much progress. And I understand some, some ministers, they see tremendous progress with unbelievable things that happen. But by and large, in ministry, you just don't see much progress. And that's why you, you will hear ministers say that, you know, if they ever got out of ministry, they'd probably go into being doing lawn service. So you can mow a yard and you can see that you've done something. And, and, and so consequently, you end up saying, God, would you, would you show me the fruit of my labor? I'm not going to pray that anymore. I prayed that for years. But this week, I was reminded of how foolish that prayer is. Because any fruit in anyone's life is not for yourself. It's for others. And when Jesus died to liberate us from selfishness, and he said, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross and die daily. When we're liberated from that, we don't care about the fruit. We only want the fruit to benefit other people. It's a great start, beginning point. And it isn't interesting that you can go all the way back to the Psalms and it points you to Christ to be reminded that he is the one who loves you and he's created you to have a relationship with him, the kind of relationship that plants you along an irrigated canal so that you will always bear fruit in life for others to enjoy. But if we don't submit our life to Christ, our sin will put us on the other side of that irrigation canal and we will dry up and wither and be forever separated from God but Christ can make us right with God all we have to do is humbly repent to turn away from our sins submit to God like a seed submits to the farmer and say God would you plant me right where you want me to be if you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior I pray that you would join me in this prayer. It's not the summation of Christianity. Please don't be mistaken. It is the introduction to Christianity. It is the beginning point of following Christ. And as the prayer ends, it reminds us that it's spent following hard after Christ the remainder of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for just the power of your word. No matter what book we study, we find you speaking to us right now more relevant, more current than what we read in the news feed that's on our phone. God, thank you for the truth of your word. The reminder that we are all on one of two paths. 
We're getting comfortable with sinners or we're getting more and more comfortable following after you. I pray that if anyone in this room has never received you as Lord and Savior, just as we saw demonstrated by Yotham and Baylor this morning, that they would cry out to you with a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have. And I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, that is a prayer that we all could pray. Full surrender to you. That's what this psalm is about. Full surrender to the psalm, to the one that this psalm is about. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Love y'all. Thanks for listening. And if you feel like you need to make a decision this morning, uh, just about the direction of where you are spiritually. Maybe you feel like the tree that is not planted by the irrigation stream. Maybe you want someone to pray with you. It may be a time and season of your life in which you are in some of those difficult days and you just want somebody to pray over you. Uh, we'd invite you to do that. Our deacons will be standing at each one of these aisles with their wife and I'll be standing over here at the cross. If you want somebody to pray with you, you can also meet us at the communication center right out in the atrium after the service. You have a communication card, looks like this. Just jot down whatever you, you are wanting and drop it off there and we'll get in touch with you. So uh, let's uh, stand together and let's continue to worship and respond to God. Your goodness is running out, it's running out to me. My life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. It's running after, it's running after me. And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so. the goodness of God.